everyone, it's Raghu. I'm back with Ramdas here and now, a new edition. And it's uh, from a talk that Ramdas gave in, gee, just a couple of years before he had that stroke. And uh, it, uh, the part that we're presenting is uh, a Q&A. Uh, we've been doing... Uh, presenting some of these Q&As lately because they really address a, a number of different uh, topics that we think would be of real interest to people, especially in these really anxiety-filled times that we are in right now here in mid-April 2022. Uh, but before I get into that, I just want to mention everybody, I think I announced it a couple of weeks ago, that we uh, we are, we put together a uh, wonderful retreat opportunity in uh, Boone, North Carolina, at the Art of Living Retreat Center, right in the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains. It's just gorgeous. And first time we're doing something on the East Coast. It, of course, Krishnadas will be there, kirtan every night, and workshop uh, during the day over the over these uh, four days. And uh, Sharon Salzberg will be zoomed in unless things change and uh, she can come in person. Uh, Bob Thurman will be there, our wonderful Buddhist friend. And this is about the intersection. I mean, one of the, th the, the main theme is about the intersection of bhakti and Buddhism and called love and reason. So Bob and Sharon, of course, both, both represent so powerfully that intersection. Uh, with what Ramdas has uh, represented all these years, the bhakti part. And who else? East Forest is going to be there. Spring Washam, uh, a wonderful uh, teacher uh, out of Jack Cornfield's uh, Spirit Rock tradition. And uh, Benji Wertheimer of Chantala with uh, his wife Heather will be there as well. So we've got lots of music stuff going on. And I'm going to be there, and I'll do something with uh, Duncan Trussell, who'll be zoomed in, and uh, more to be announced as we move along here. So uh, just go to ramdas.org slash summer retreat. No, mountain retreat. ramdas.org slash mountain retreat. It's just gorgeous there. We're going to have walks in nature and... Uh, with music, and uh, and it's called forest bathing. We're going to do forest bathing. Um, I, myself, find walking in forest highly, highly um, effective way to just drop all of the BS that we have going on in our lives day to day, and the input of information and vibrations from around the world is pretty pretty difficult. So forest bathing will be done there. But also, we have, uh, will, <clears throat> we have selected and will select uh, audio and video from Ram Dass's catalog to address particularly, of course, the intersection of bhakti and Buddhism, because that's a very prominent part of uh, Neem Karoli Baba's, it's not his tradition because there was nothing, there was no me, mine going on there, but certainly what we brought back, meaning Ramdas and Krishnadas and all of us who came back from India from that point in time, 
really was a wonderful combination of love, bhakti, and uh, we're calling it reason, but really discriminating wisdom that Buddhism really does uh, represent. So we're going to have breakout groups and discussions around Ram Dass's, um talks that we'll present there, and the other speakers will be um, jumping off of those points of discussion. So look forward again, ramdas.org slash mountain retreat. Uh, this particular uh, podcast, as I said, uh, was a Q&A uh, as part of a longer talk. And uh, the, uh, it's, it's just got so many things that are relevant today. Um, being uh, the first caller was talking about um, uh, just having trouble, just being alive and and being angry at what's going on and angry at oneself and and Ramdas responded to that. Is uh, there's a lot of that going on with us all? Always has been, of course, but uh, I don't think I'm I'm being over I'm overstating uh, the reality of what we're faced with now with the war that's going on in Eastern Europe, uh, with the pandemic that's still with us, with the environment that is so very upsetting um, for all of us, uh, with the polarization, particularly in this country, well, polarization worldwide, but in this country, it's getting uh, very, very difficult. So, yeah, these um, questions and answers, I think, uh, will help. They just absolutely help. He he also talks about there's questions about death, and Ramda spent a lot large part of his life uh, relating with the reality of uh, of death and helping people. In particular, I don't know if any of you remember, but uh, he wrote this. Uh, there there was uh, <clears throat> I think one of the callers here asked Ramdas uh, about death regarding someone very young, which was his son who died at the age of four. Um, and he says, of course, it's one of the hardest kinds of suffering. And uh, the caller did bring up uh, Ramdas's letter to Rachel. Anybody who's in any kind of situation like that, by the way, certainly write to us at info at ramdas.org or at Be Here Now Network. And uh, we'll, we'll make sure to get somebody to send you that uh, wonderful letter he wrote to Rachel's parents who had been uh, murdered in Northern California. Uh, and what he wrote was just extraordinary. And we've shared it with many, many different people. So that's also uh, part of uh, the Q&A here. Uh, and um, just one thing that I have to mention that struck me, and uh, it's... Um, to me, the most important thing that we can do collectively to be able to, uh, of course, individually, we need to sh- change our insides, you know. We need to refine our insides so that we are not so self-centered. And uh, then, as Ramdas says, we can radiate who we are, and that is uh, definitely a uh, social action. And... Uh, secondarily, not say at the same time, 
really it is about us getting together and being able to share with each other. And Ramdas said, what I've experienced in the past two hours, just at this talk that he gave, it, with all of the back and forth with the various questions and concerns, he says, it's just the way in which our humanity is being shared. I have so appreciated the truth and sweetness and playfulness. We're just hanging out in our living room together as our, as fellow human beings. We're hanging out together as fellow human beings, exploring the delight and the play and the mystery. And that is what's called satsang, or the Buddhists call sangha, or just plain old community. And uh, the work that we do in ourselves that we can share with, with others and the um, profound uh, issues of the day that I just mentioned, I don't have to mention, everybody well knows them, uh, being able to commiserate around uh, these issues and hold, first hold ourselves um, with self-compassion and then we're able to have some compassion for others. Just talking about this stuff and and uh, moving into a... a um, Moving into a practice of commitment to lose the attachment to our self-concern, at least as much as it, is, as it usually is on a day-to-day basis. And how better to do that if we share? Because in the sharing, we understand that we are all wanting the same thing thing. We want to be happy. We want others to be happy. And uh, so, yeah, this, this uh, what Ramdas said at the end, which he experienced, obviously, in this, uh, with this audience in, in this talk, was the, the, uh, the wonder and the play and the mystery that uh, we can have by just hanging out. It can be in our living room with half a dozen people, you know, it happens. All the time. So this is Ramdas here and now. And uh, again, this talk goes back to, when was it? 1996. And uh, it was in Los Angeles at KPFK, actually. And that's where he he was doing. And with his intention of, uh, it was going to happen right around the time he had his stroke, which was to do a radio show. So this is kind of a precursor to that. It's It's quite wonderful. This is uh, Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and we have a phenomenal lineup of different teachers and thought leaders that you can listen to or watch on YouTube. We put all of it on YouTube as well. And uh, we'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks with Ramdas here and now. See ya. Welcome back to Here and Now with Ramdas. The number is 818-985-5735. Peter, we're back together again. Hi. What can I do for you? Well, I think the crux of anything I would have to say is I seem to have a real resentment for my life. Is what it boils down to. A resentment for your life? Yeah. What does yeah, that mean? I resent being alive. And it may sound like I'm currently 
depressed and suicidal. And as far as I know, I'm not in the middle of one of those, although I have been in the past. What What does the word resent mean to you? What does that mean? Well, I, I, I at first was going to mention a lack of certainty and problems with self-esteem and hitting a wall when I turned 40 about realizing how unhappy I was with my life still. And when I was thinking while I was waiting to speak to you what was underneath it all, it's a lot of anger that... What are you angry about? Hmm. Well, I guess it's a whole big drama that's set up uh, when you're a child or maybe even before then. Um, I I guess I'm angry at the people who raised me or angry at the decision I made to reincarnated into this family. Um, I, I now, at my age, with no living parents, I, I think most of it I've learned to turn in at myself. I'm always angry at myself for not achieving, angry at myself for not handling something correctly, um, angry at myself for not making, not being able to make choices so the choices go by before I made a decision. And the other side of this is the people in my life are people that come to me constantly as a very stable force who listen. And I try not to give advice, but who listen and pretty much hears what they're trying to say to me. And I feel so inadequate for that. (laughs) Well, I guess you should enjoy your feelings of inadequacy as long as you want to. I mean... uh, you, the anger, <laughs> I mean, your victimization is part of that is victimization of feeling you've been victimized by somebody or something. And everybody and everything was just doing what they were doing, like trees and rivers. You, uh, and what happened to you is what happened to you. And right. here we are. Right. You can define yourself in terms of your past as if you need to. I find that one's personal history becomes less and less kind of relevant and interesting as time goes on. And what you have at this existential moment is a kind of an open space. You've got people seeing you differently than you see yourself. You've got feelings of uh, some frustration with the way your life is at the moment. But that's all just the stuff of it. I mean, it's, it's as if... It's an adventure story, and you don't really know, and the adventure is partly, what am I doing? Whoops. I'm breaking up here. Oh, what's the story? What am I so... uh, Go ahead. The question is where you can be in relation to your anger, and do you have to identify with it? You can hold it without identifying with it by saying, like, there's anger versus I'm angry. By well, finding not, the pl- I, I have so much trouble. Um, I mean, I dealt with so much of it. I thought earlier in my adulthood. Yeah, and when it's feel, a bottomless well. I mean, yeah, when you deal so. with psychological stuff, it never ends. It's like the garden of infinite delight. I guess so. <laughs> you can always milk it. I saw that that it was a like Freud talking about uh, analysis being uh, unending because there's always more of it. But what finally happens is your consciousness can move into another place where you finish being a victim, you finish being angry. There's still anger and there's still victimization. It's just you're not buying into it so much. And, I mean, who's talking to me now doesn't feel either victimized or angry. 
Yeah. You found you feel just like another being to me, and here we are hanging out together. Thank you, Peter, for calling. Thank you. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Rodnas. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm trying to make sense of how I'm feeling. Uh, my aunt died Christmas Day, and a little boy that I was a teacher of is 11 years old, and he died two days ago from leukemia. I've done an amazing amount of work with your stuff on death is not an outrage, and I'm trying to prepare myself. I've got an elderly mom. and Prepare, really yourself, prepare yourself what? For her to go at yeah. some point. Mm-hmm. And I feel like consciously I've got it all together and I understand it. And then when people die, I don't do well for this. What do you mean you don't do well? You I have get, grief. I get really sad. Sure. Why in the hell shouldn't you? I mean... I get grieving and sad, too. I think grieving is a necessary and a healing part of life. I think that when you've had a reality in which another person has played a part and that person leaves, there's a rip in the fabric of your uh, psychological existence. And there's a tremendous feeling of loss and you're bereft and the sadness and all of that. And I think that's part of our humanity. I mean, I, I feel I celebrate that, even though it's painful as hell to me. I mm-hmm. still celebrate it. And I really invite people to grieve, and I do a lot of work with people just saying, grieve some more. Don't get done so soon. Because this culture with its stiff upper lipness, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's baloney. I mean, I would say, go grieve some more. And But what happens is, when the grief runs its natural course, as I said in that Death is Not an Outrage tape, you come to the point where you realize that you've tasted something with that person that was such a living moment that that moment still exists independent of death. I mean, it's, it's, there's a moment when we recognize that love transcends death. And that has to happen experientially, and it has to happen when grief runs its natural course. And then you suddenly realize when the mind stops with the reminiscence and the kind of using the pain of the loss and the feeling of bereftness, you realize that the way you knew that person was also included a part of you that was not in time and space and that that continues to exist. I mean, my guru died in 73 and he is the most um, living presence in my life now. And uh, yet he doesn't have a body. But you don't grieve him anymore, right? No, I don't grieve him anymore. No, because he's too so much with me. I mean, what am I grieving about? That that old body left? I mean, that isn't... I can't go to India and meet him, but he seems so much in my life now that where would I go to get closer to him? And I think that's what happens with people you have really loved. Mm-hmm. I watch... Like an old couple, one partner dies and the other feels absolutely bereft. And sometimes they can take that, that loneliness and anger and self-pity and sadness and they can take it with them to their grave and they just stay on that track. Other people go through it and they start to come out the other side and they start to begin to realize what the legacy is of their beloved is inside them. And they start to feel enriched by their relationship rather than bereft from it, which is, I think, a great gift from a lover to a beloved. 
And another part of this is that I'm really close with this little boy's family, and what can I do as somebody who is a little bit more above the grieving situation because I'm not in his family? What can I do for this mother? You can be with her in a clear, quiet, and present way. You can be there without... without uh, questioning her responses without judging her without making them worse or exacerbating them but just being present you are one heart being present with another heart and that's the gift that's what you offer you don't there's not uh, I mean sometimes it's a glass of water and sometimes it's cooking a meal for somebody but behind that is always just huge it's heart-to-heart resuscitation basically <laughs> Thanks, dear, for Thank calling. Thank you for being on the air. Okay. Bye-bye. Clem, good evening. How do you do? How do you do? Very nice to speak with you. I Thank have you. to echo what the first caller, I believe, said, and it is an honor. Um, <clears throat> uh, I have one of your books sitting right next to me, Journey of Awakening, mm, mm. and I mention it because it's had quite an impact on me, probably, mm. one of the books I've read that has the greatest impact on me in the last couple of years, and, and therein lies part of the problem. Okay. Um, I come from, I suppose, a very common middle-class suburban background, and although I aspire to a career in the arts and writing, uh, I have a problem, almost a dichotomy, in that um, mentally, uh, reading, amongst other things, your book, has led me to certain conclusions, but, you know, there, and I have to get up every morning, I have to work to pay the bills, I, I wait tables to make my ends meet, and I can't seem to align the nuts and bolts, the day-to-day, with the conclusions I'm reaching in my head. It's, it's almost like everything has led me up to the starting line. Let, but, yeah, let me just say, Clem, that I'm... I'm 65, and I am still in the process of integrating those things, integrating the deeper kinds of understanding that I have touched and that I know somewhere in my being, and bringing it into play in my daily life of waiting on tables or whatever the action is, or driving a car, or answering a letter, or whatever, paying my taxes, or standing in line, or something, because... Each one is another kind of, it's like that's your curriculum at the moment. That's what you've been offered to bring to bear that wisdom, to understand how to participate in the dance of life without being trapped in it, without pushing okay. against it or grabbing it. Well, I, I mean, I most certainly can see the poetry of the nuts and bolts. I most cer- certainly experience it, whether it be as, as simple as... as, as nature and, 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 and a lawn, you know, a fresh-cut lawn. After or a dirty a dish. Rain. How about a dirty dish? Or a dirty dish. No, I, I can recognize the poetry of okay. it, but there is a certain thing that I, I, I feel I can't put into action, you know, even as simple as meditation, although I can see the, the uh, mentally, I can grasp the, wo- the wealth of it, and I can understand when meditation has happened spontaneously to me. There's Yet no I, reason why... Uh, like Trungpa Rinpoche's book called Meditation in Action. There's no reason why your life of even waiting on table isn't a meditative act. 
Okay, well, what, why? You know, there, 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 is a, there seems, I mean, is it my perception that says there's this major dichotomy, that there's this gap, there's this chasm between exactly. these it very is. spiritual re- realizations I have and the lack of them in practice in my day-to-day? I'm, 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 I'm desperately looking for a way to align those two worlds. Well, and... don't be desperate. It won't help. Be patient. <laughs> <laughs> well, patience, yes, granted. I, I, I believe I have a wealth of it, but I also have, you know, a burning passion. And I, I... That will keep directing you, but don't get trapped being burning passion too much because it'll start to destroy the happiness of this moment. Oh, but, but then again, I can see the utter wealth and, and, and the beauty and the poetry within the passion. I mean, it's almost like I can see God in everything, and yet I don't know which path to take, and I'm sure I'm experiencing him all the time anyway. I would say it doesn't matter which path you take. You're doing fine. (laughs) I mean, I know it's hard to admit that, because you'd rather suffer some more, but I... Well, but but I'd I'd rather not. Well, when you would rather not than don't. Just enjoy the the dissonance. I mean, dealing with the dissonance between what you're doing in daily life and how you get trapped in seeing it a certain way. So that's, that's the art of it. That's, that's the art of it. Of the it. art and the poetry of the play, of the interplay, of getting uptight, of getting up and having to go to work and doing all that stuff. Well, the, okay, why, why do I not, why when I, I see, I mentally, I accept the, the, the validity of meditation, why can I not put it into practice? It takes a long time to go from understanding something intellectually to being it. It's a it, process, it deepens very, very, very slowly, and you just got to develop a lot of patience. Now, I know that's, I know patience is, is very sound advice, but perhaps there's something you can offer me to... to um, I don't just, think there's any hope. <laughs> How about that one? You're a comedian, aren't you? <laughs> That's the best I can do for you. There's no hope, so give up. Okay. Now what? <laughs> now we've given up. Now what? Okay, so I, I, I guess I base my life on irony, and I guess you confirm that my, my, my basis is correct. I think you're doing beautifully. I think your consciousness is quite playful. So I would just say enjoy the humor of it all. Oh, you know, it, it's, a very, it's a pleasure to speak with you without a doubt. A pleasure to speak and, to you, and, too. I, I wish you the best. I hope to have the opportunity in the future. Thanks. Good night. Good night. Hi, Leanne. Hi, Leanne. Good evening. Hi. Thank uh, you for being here. Okay. Um, I have a question about um, material manifestation and renunciation. Mm. Um, just uh, speaking from uh, what's happening for me, I opened up a a yoga studio a couple of years ago, and um, I'm having a difficult time. <laughs> I'm having a difficult time. <laughs> um, I'm having a difficult time letting go and finding a place of creating affluence so I can keep it running. And uh, letting go into... not having anything. I mean, I just, I'm getting stuck, and I... Am I making sense? Yeah, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you, and I... I think that the whole issue of right livelihood and of being successful at something you want to do is a very real uh, cause for concern in, in an individual. And... Um, 
the the statement of doing one's dharma says that you find yourself called to have a yoga center mm-hmm. center and you do it as impeccably as you can with as much love as you can and as much presence but whether it works or not is not fully in your control yeah it has to do with other people it has to do with the cultural moment it has to do with the economics of the society it has to do with the psychological attitudes towards yoga it has to do with a lot of things it has to do with your childhood experiences it it's a multi determined caused situation and you don't have control over all that mm-hmm. so you all you have control over is doing the stuff you do as well as and cleanly and as beautifully and as compassionately as you can and if it falls through it falls through and then there's another moment and then there's something else and what you'll see is what you're saying to god is i will be happy to do your work if you will let me to do it this way because this is the way i want to do it mm-hmm. and you may or may not have that opportunity I don't get to do all the things I want to do either. And the question is how gracefully you can listen to hear the next thing you're going to do. Mm-hmm. So, uh I would uh I hear it and I just hear how hard it is in this culture to get free of uh fears about economics because they're so real and dominant in this society. Yeah, it's um you know, there's a huge part of me that uh there's a huge part of me that thinks it's really awful that I even charge money for something like that. It's like, I've been through know. the same thing, but in this society, you yeah. have, I mean, I think that the contract between human beings is that we share our goods and services and we get from that things that we need for our livelihood. And I've learned how to do that. After all, I was given everything I was given for nothing in India. But yet back here there isn't the culture that supports people doing what I do right. unless I charge for it and I do charge and I have to look and say what is a fair way or a, amount and but I have finished with that thing about being guilty for charging for the spiritual work because I don't feel that it's exploitive if it's an honest and open contract Right yeah I do I mean I I you know we really create a a good space there for people in a loving environment. Well, thank you for doing that. <laughs> it's just, you know, <laughs> it's just, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, I can't, I, for, yeah, I just can't seem to get unhooked. Get unhooked. Um, yeah. Then all I can suggest is you sit with your inability to get unhooked, get unhooked and yeah. watch it. Okay. What else? <laughs> what else? No, I mean, what else is there? There's nothing else. There isn't anything. Yeah. You don't have any choice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, right. thanks, dear, for calling. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. Namaste. Namaste. Chi Chi, hello. Peace and love. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Hey, I was born in Nigeria, and I've spent most of my life in this country. Right. Um, uh, I now... Um, I was given a long name at birth, and uh, I now uh, prefer to be called Chi-Chi by those who cannot, you know, deal with my long name. Can I hear your long name? Well, my first, my first name is Chimo Kenwa. Chimo Kenwa. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, middle name, Gemma, uh, anyway. <laughs> I, used to be, I used to be called Chinwe. Yeah. 
Chimley. I've gone through some name changes over right. the years. But I, I have, have too. Okay. I yeah. now you know, prefer to be called Chinwe by those who can handle that, and those who can't can call me Chichi. Chinwe. Okay, thank okay. you. Okay. Um, so, so I've gone through people you know, over the years asking me, you know, what am I, where am I from, and whatever. And um, it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and being a very curious person myself, Mm-hmm. I find myself when I'm among people sometimes asking them, sure, you know, what are they or whatever, just out of curiosity. Yeah, you know? not out of judgment, just curiosity. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, in reference to, um, I want to say something about my father. My father recently um, has passed away a few years ago, and I've had a few dreams about him, and um, I feel closer to him now uh, that he's gone than than I did when he was alive. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> Me too. Uh, okay. Uh, reference to donation. I mean, reference to working. Um, I'm self-employed, and sometimes I get into the thing about, you know, whether to charge people or not. Yeah. So sometimes I charge, and sometimes I just accept donations. Yeah, right on. Um, I wanted, okay, so now getting to the question. Okay. okay you do it beautifully, by the way. You're wonderful. Chin uh, Wei, go ahead. Okay. The, uh, one quick question. What is your birth date? And then the other thing is... Um, you mentioned dropping the body at some point. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm briefly familiar with Tantra and, and Tao, Taoism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and according to Taoism, we can um, experience immortality if we want. And uh, I also want to mention that, you know, my name that has the chi in it mm-hmm. has a very similar meaning to the to chi in the Chinese language. Got it. Okay, that's it. Okay, my birth date is April 6th, 1931. I was born around 9.40 in the morning, I believe. 19 I'm, what? 1931. Okay. I'm an Aries. All right. And uh, then, let's see, what was the other part of your question? Oh, the Tao and Tantra. And the Tao and, and, and about immortality. Right. I certainly think that there are ways of using energies in the universe to extend the duration of physical life. That, whether or not one wants to do that is another question. Whether one hears it to be in the harmony of the way of things, the deeper I get into parts of my identity, the less I am attached to keeping this physical body eternally because it just seems like a certain... A classroom or a level and I really find that there are more interesting aspects of existence beyond that of incarnation in a physical body so I want to honor it and take care of it while it's around but I really don't feel that pull for longevity that uh, that uh, immortality issues have to deal with thank you very much for calling Chen Wei thank you okay Hello, Carl. Carl, are you there? I'm, uh, hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. I was not pushing the right button. Ah, hello there. Hello there. It's really, uh, this is really cool to be able to just call you up. Well, that's great. I can't <laughs> believe it. Um, I, uh, I had a son uh, named Willie who died two and a half years ago. He had neuroblastoma. Mm. And uh, How old was Willie? He was four when he died. He was two and a half when he was diagnosed. Yeah. 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 Um, How are you doing with it? Well, 
you know, I don't know if, yeah, how am I doing? Um, it comes and goes. I come and go. I bet it does. You know, um, in, uh, in Be Here Now, you talk about taking the crispy trip, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty crispy. I bet you're crisp by this, very much so, yeah. I think this is one of the hardest kinds of suffering, the loss of a child, because it feels unnatural in the way of things that a child should die before a parent. Yeah, that's absolutely right. right. It's a very and deep... it happened also, he got sick right in the middle as his mother and I were divorcing, mm. which made it you know, know. just uh, that much more of a drama, actually. But I suspect you and he connected in pretty deep love along the way. I, well, I couldn't hear you. What? I suspect you and he connected in pretty deep love along the way. You know, we did. Um, it was very weird. Because I, 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 in a lot of ways, I didn't feel like I knew him very well. Mm. And um, mm. <laughs> I guess he knew me pretty well. Because he, uh, he waited for me to get there before he died. Mm. And I actually asked him to do that if he could. I told him. It was okay if he had to go before I could be there. Um, but it, it, the way it happened was his mother called me, and I raced over, and um, uh, I ran in the house, and I said, Willie, I'm here, and he took one look at me, and he died. Wow. Yeah. Wow, yes. I, I've never quite understood. I, I know that's some kind of a gift. I just don't, you know, I still don't know quite what. Yeah. Um, mm. I heard in one of your tapes, though, you said that you wrote, a letter to some parents who'd lost a child. Yes, I did. And you said something about it's, it's so unbearable it forces you out of your mind. That's right. Which is absolutely true. I bet it is, and I bet you've experienced that too. I did. Yeah. And I, but I, and I still experience it. I still go mm -hmm. out of my mind every... Mm -hmm. I don't know. His birthday is uh, Friday. So the, Right. Yeah, so I'm close to that now. Uh, but you also went on to say there that uh, you, now you know how God feels. I think that's what you said. Yep. C could you talk about that a little bit? Um, they say in India that uh, for a great saint, everybody is their child. And just imagine that for a moment, theoretically. And just imagine experiencing the world's people as your children and the numbers that are dying each day as children or even as adults but they're all experienced as children so that there is that kind of um, bearing the unbearable or being in the in the presence of the unbearableness it's taking the excruciating pain of the loss of a child and just having it as a continuous presence all the time and, yeah, well, that pretty much describes how it's been. Well, that kind of being in such intimate relationship to the mystery, because actually, how could you know why that is? Why was your son taken away? Why did he come and stay briefly and leave? What is it? And there's no rational way your mind is going to deal with that. It's going to deal constantly with just being thrown into the mystery until you're... You, because when I said, then you are f able to see as God sees and love as God loves, the thing is that that, I'm talking about God as that kind of consciousness that embraces suffering into itself rather than pushes against it, that sees suffering as being part of the way of the manifestation of the universe.
and and it's in that sense of being um, having this all internally in yourself, the vastness of the suffering. Yeah. That's what I mean by the way God sees it. And experiencing that is grace. Does it get through or not? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I, 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 what, what I have experienced is a great deal more compassion uh-huh. for other people. Right. Um, for their pain. A lot of people will say to me, you know, they'll say, I, I don't have any business telling you this because you've been through so much more. And I... But I, I, you know, I hate to have people cut themselves off from me by comparing my pain to their pain. I mean, it actually exactly helps right. me to hear them and tell me what's what's going on with them. But at the same time, not at the same time, that switches from like this great compassion to this sort of total bitterness. You know, it flips back and forth. And the compassion has to embrace the bitterness. The compassion has to say yes, and that too, the bitterness, because. Uh -huh. Your child's legacy to you, your son's legacy to you, is all of this process you're going through that is becoming, that is training you to become a being, an instrument of compassion in the universe. And that compassion has to embrace into it all of the perplexity and confusion and anger and everything about why is it all the way it is, which has to do with sickness, yeah. aging, and death. And this is all the stuff of life. And what you're being done, you're doing, you're being forced into being with the mystery of the universe. Other people can manifest more denial. Yeah, but your child's death forced it, it to be real for you. And this is the forced growth of a compassionate being. And it's hard to say, as I said in that letter, at some point you will appreciate that this is your child's legacy to you. And that to the extent that that compassion grows deeply in you, you become, in a way, the love that you and your child had together starts to be manifest in the way you are towards other people. And then you begin to feel the presence of that particular relationship infusing the way you hear other people in their suffering. Yeah, that's happening. It is happening. I can hear it in you. Yeah. And that's a great gift. <laughs> it's a it's a hard one, but it's a great gift. Yeah, I, I really didn't want it. I know you didn't I mean, want I thought, it. You know, this is the funny thing. I thought I wanted it or whatever, you know, yeah. I, I thought I wanted all those, the character sure. and, you know, the yep. hero's journey and all that crap. Yep. Until, uh, but you'd rather have your son back. I'd rather have him. I understand. I understand. And I, I really, I really so deeply appreciate your sharing this because I think you're, you're touching such a deep human condition and the fact that you and I can sit with it and look at it and feel it and not push it away yeah. and still grow with it, I think, is useful to us and to all the people that are listening. So thank can you. Can I very share much. one more thing? You with sure you? may. Go I ahead. have a ten-year-old and uh, a surviving son, and he's um, he's developmentally delayed. He's a very special kid too. But he said he said that his mother asked him once what Willem's mission was here. Willem mm. is my son who yes. died. And he, this is what he said. He said, Willem's mission was to show people how to spread happiness and joy around <laughs> when disappointments made them think that what they want is better than love. Love is better than anything. 
Wow. <laughs> what did you say? He's disadvantaged. <laughs> Is that what you he's said? Developmentally delayed. Wow. Yeah. He's delayed? Delayed, yeah. I would say that he's an angel that's dropped by. He's yes. way ahead of me. <laughs> oh, boy. Give I me my love. I channeling, you know, I don't know who. Who could he be channeling? <laughs> he's channeling himself. Uh, he is. You're just lucky you've got him around. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, my really dear. Fun to talk Thanks to you. a lot. Okay, bye. Sadiki, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Hi. Hi. Uh, good to get a chance to talk to you. Uh, now I called to talk about me. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Um, I, I grew up here in South Central Los Angeles. Yeah. My mama raised me. Uh, she raised nine kids, and I was one of those nine. And she had to raise them. On her own, but my mama used to beat me, okay, with broomsticks and extension cords. Uh, she used to tie me down and beat me because I was a particular kid. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what kind of insight I had or nothing, but she always knew I was going to be a problem. And uh, so, so she used to beat me a little bit more than the rest of them. So as an adult, I'm almost 40. You know, I, I have some kind of psychic damage or something, if you will, with regard to my relationship with women. Mm -hmm. I look at women, I always see my mama. My mm -hmm. mama, we have kind of different kind of bonding, uh, and we are kind of growing in our bonding because I've tried to force her to see me man to woman rather than mother to son. Uh, and yes. I have been letting her see me as a adult to adult. She sees me as an adult. She respects me as a man, mm -hmm. and I respect her as a woman. Um, but uh, I suffered in my life, and I I tried to resolve the issues of my upbringing in my adult life, and um, I haven't been able to. And what I wanted to ask you was that um, uh, can you give me uh, some information on how I can deal with the damage where um, I have where every time I see a woman in my life, every time I have a relationship with a woman, it always breaks up early. I'm not a homosexual. I don't deal with homosexuality. I respect anybody's right to do what they want to do, and anybody can do what they want to do as far as I'm concerned, but I like women. But I have not been able to love no woman ever in my life. Uh, the one woman that I did love, uh, she fell in love with somebody else mm -hmm. and ran away. So I hear this. I hear what you're saying, and the the depth of the um, distrust and the, um, the 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 what you call the damage that was done in your childhood may well color all of your life. You may or may not get out of that one. What you, and I think you've done incredibly well to keep redesigning the relationship with your mother so that it's as adult to adult and human to human and with respect for each other because that respect goes a long way to putting the, the history to rest in which you can understand how she got trapped in her frustrations and her anger and her insecurities and all of that. That's all wonderful, but when you come to the existential moment of each relationship you have 
with each woman that you're attracted to and that you feel is attracted to you. What you bring to that is as much truth and as much good heart as you can. And if she goes off with someone else, it hurts. You, you work with the hurt, you eat it when you're ready to eat it, and you get on with it. And you'll find that each relationship, if you'll come into it and bring to it the truth of the moment, don't try to be macho or don't try to be anything you don't feel you are. Are you still there? Yeah. Yeah, it's a car going by. Oh. Uh, and if you just keep coming back into the moment of this relationship, instead of seeing this relationship only in historical perspective in relation to your mother and past relationships, see each one as an entirely fresh moment in which you are meeting a fellow human being. And to the extent that you can meet a woman first as a friend, first as a fellow human being, and then start to explore the man-woman dynamics, rather than coming into the relationship with each woman busy being a man. Because that man-woman part of it is only part of the way human beings interact with one another. And maybe you're leading with that when you could allow that to fall back a little bit. And first of all, start to be friends with people, just, as, just like you're learning how to be with your mother. And you can do that with other people without the big plan that it's going to be romantic or it's going to end up that you're going to have a long-term relationship and then let it follow from there. That's about the best I can do for you, Sadiq. Well, I think you can do a little bit more because you really sound good right there in your analysis with it right there with me. Because uh, I'm just trying to understand her. And um, uh, it's almost like um, what I want to do is go off in the wilderness or sit upon some beach and grab a ton of books or something or tapes, audio and video and read and study. If you were supposed to do that, you would. But you'll find that if that is being done out of an avoidance of something you find uncomfortable, it'll still haunt you and it'll still hang around. And you'll be busy being on an island thinking about your relationships that you're not having. So just listen to hear what the form of your dance is. And don't be afraid a little. You know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to risk. And when it blows up, just go through the pain, and then get on with it. And you will find each relationship, you're coming at it from a different place. There is growth through all of these experiences you're having. You've grown a hell of a lot since you were the little boy being beaten. You're a different person now, and I really feel that you're moving along fine and just got to keep staying with the situation. Thank you very much for calling in. Thank you. At this moment, there are... 10 people waiting <laughs> on the line and we will be back for some more in a few minutes and uh, what I've experienced in this past uh, two hours is um, just a, a, a way in which our humanity is being shared and I have so appreciated the, uh, the kind of truth and sweetness and playfulness and uh, the way in which we really are just hanging out in our living room together as fellow human beings exploring the delight and the play and the mystery. This is Ram Dass, here and now, talk radio from the heart. You're listening to KPFK. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation 
and ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.